want us to just spend some time praying for one another, to lay hands on one another. And But I, this is not just a pragmatic, cerebral moment. This is a, a supernatural moment. And so I want to welcome the Holy Spirit and say, you're so welcome here, Holy Spirit. You are welcome here. We, we, we're your temple anyway, the dwelling place of God. But we want to say that you are welcome here. And we worship and adore Jesus because of what you produce within us, which is love for him. And eyes and passion and ears that see him and believe him and hear him and trust him and a heart that beats for him because you breathe life into us. And we say thank you for your amazing work, that mighty work of the spirit that has breathed new life into us, that we are born of the spirit as followers of Jesus. And so we just say, you're welcome here, Holy Spirit. We, we welcome you. Come, have your way amongst us this morning. Come and lead us. Come and cause us to fall in love with Jesus afresh today. We really don't want to be those that, that merely do religion, but we want to be those who are spiritually alive with the life of God within us personally and together as a family, a church family, we say, therefore, would you come and be at the center of all we're doing today? Come and fill us afresh. Just in these moments, I pray you would speak to us. Reveal truth to us. Reveal Jesus to us afresh. Come and cause our hearts to burn within us for the glory of God. So we welcome you. We, 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 we welcome you. We say, come, Holy Spirit. Amen. Um. Emma and I have had the privilege over the last, or this term of um, leading the New Life small group um, to people who are new or newish to faith and, and growing in God and learning um, who is Jesus and what does that mean for my life and, and what is faith and what does the Bible teach us about different aspects of life and what does it mean for me now that I'm a follower of Jesus and how does that challenge my my view of where I've come from in life and I've encountered Jesus and now suddenly values and the understanding I've had of life is all being turned upside down because that's the nature of the kingdom of God as it comes and turns life upside down as I'm sure many of you know and it's just been a real privilege. Firstly just to get to know um, a group of guys and girls who are going on a journey with God and who are growing in him and seeing seeing their growth in Jesus. And, and I just love those moments when you see people grasping truth. And that shouldn't be just for new believers, that should be for each one of us, that we encounter the truth and it transforms our thinking and that, that our minds are transformed, that there's a renewal of our thinking to see and savor Jesus and, and get hold of his truth and see, wow, this is who you say you are. This is who you are. This is what you're like. This is what you're how you've arranged life to be lived. This is what it means for me now that I'm in your kingdom. And, and seeing not just pieces of the jigsaw come together, but seeing lives and thinking turned upside down is a real privilege. But also just that, that personal relationship with one another, that we've been placed in relationship together to encourage and build one another up in life, in godliness, in faith. And it's just reminded me of the importance over this last term of that we as the people of God, we come together on Sundays like this and we celebrate and we declare that Jesus is victorious over sin and death and Satan, that he has triumphed on the cross, that the grave is empty and we worship not a dead 
Messiah, but one who is resurrected and ascended and seated at the right hand of the Father. That he is the darling of heaven who was crucified, but the grave couldn't hold him. And he was raised to life. Bodily resurrection. We have this eternal hope, but, and we need each other. I've just been reminded over this time of how we need each other to remind each other of what God has done for us. And how that shapes our life. And, and I feel like I've, I, I'm, I'm not being in any way patronizing by this. I just feel like I've learned so much again over this time. Of just going, yeah, what does this look like in life? Who is God and what's he done? And I, and I just want to encourage us to be a people who continue to meet together. As a team, we, we kind of just, as you do, we, we kind of keep a track of where are we in terms of growth as a church, and that's not the most important health marker, but it's helpful to keep a track of numbers just so you can plan to make space for more people. As we look to multiply again down the road, we just want to do that off the back of momentum. And one of the things that we've um, realized over a number of, well, quite a while now, is actually the reality is that on a Sunday morning, and I dare say this is true for our group life, is that we have more people coming less regularly to Gateway. I'm not beating anybody up for that. It's just a fact. So more people come, but come less often. So therefore, there's less of a commitment to meet together weekly. And throughout church history, that would have been a a, a very odd concept for the church. You gather together weekly, both large gatherings and small gatherings. That's part of what it means to belong to the body of Jesus, is this sense of commitment one to another, to to train each other, to encourage one another, to pray for one another, to stand with one another, just to read scripture and say, what does this mean for our life and, and how, how should our thinking be transformed? And there's been a hunger in, cult, in, sorry, in the church over the last 2,000 years to meet together and to not give up on doing that. Yet it's interesting in our generation, there's a, and this isn't true just of Gateway. This is true for the church at large in the Western world and Church leaders I know who I speak to, they say this is true for them also, that more people come less regularly. And it makes me think, God, what's going on? That's the question I ask. What's happening? Because this is a very odd blip moment in the history of the church. And, and I, as I've been thinking about it, because I've... I've been struck by the joy of meeting with the guys and girls week in, week out on the new life course. I couldn't make it this week I was away, but I missed it. I missed being with them. I missed that, just the joy of being together and enjoying each other's company and opening the Bible and saying, what does this mean? How does this change how we think? What does this look like for our life? And, and, I, and, I, and I can't help but come to the conclusion that, Gateway, we are consumers of God and church rather than partakers with God in what he's doing and givers of ourselves one to another. Feel beaten up if you feel beaten up. Tell me off if you want to tell me off. But I I think this is not just us, by the way. I think there's a, a challenge in our culture. And I think we need to face it and respond to it. I love the local church. I think the local church, I think she's amazing, the bride of Christ. Jesus loves his church. He is passionate for his church. He died for his church. What's this got to do with the spirit? I, um, I read a good book a long time ago by a guy called Richard Foster called Life with God. He's written a number of books on spiritual formation, prayer, um, spiritual disciplines, and just pursuing God in life. And I, I just, 
I really enjoyed it when I read it. And in his book, at one point, he talks about streams in the church, streams of the Christian life, and what should um, emphasize the Christian life. And he pulls out six streams, and he just lists them. He says, here's six streams in the church history, in the church tradition. He says there's a contemplative tradition or the prayer-filled life of the believer and the church community. One defining element of the church is that it's a church that gathers and prays. And that disciples, followers of Jesus, prayer, the prayer life of a disciple should be on fire because we are communicating with God who, is, who loves us and whom we've loved and received new life. And that prayer is a defining stream in the, in the life of the church of Jesus Christ. He says there's a holiness tradition or the virtuous life, not a self-piety type of life, but one where we're growing in Christ's likeness, pursuing God, saying, hey, does my life look more like Jesus now than it did a year ago? Am I growing in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, gentleness humility, and self-control? He talks about the charismatic tradition or the spirit-empowered life. That's what we're going to come on to in just a moment. He talks about the social justice tradition, or the compassionate life. The, the life that says God loves the plight of orphans and widows and the brokenhearted, those who are in bondage and slavery to sin and sickness and all of these things. And Jesus loves those people. He sent his son, or God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to come and rescue people out from that kind of life into life that is true life. We, therefore, should care about the things that God cares about deeply. The evangelical tradition or the word-centered life. That this book dwells in us richly as a community. It doesn't just sit there and we look at it and say, well, it might have something to say about life, ethics, same-sex marriage, gender. They're the big ones at the moment, obviously. But I'm less bothered about what it says. My, My opinion is this, and the church can be full of opinions. No, the church tradition is let this word dwell in you richly as a community. Speak truth to one another. In psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, as we gather together, we we gather around this book. Not in a dry intellectual way, but in a way that this is the living word of God. The evangelical tradition, the word-centered life. And then he talks about the incarnational tradition, or the sacramental life. That Jesus came and took on flesh. And he lived amongst us. And he dwelt with us. And at great expense to himself. He knows what it is to live and suffer. He knows what it is to have died. And, and that he embodied God in his person. He was fully God and fully human. And, and this is the Jesus we worship. That, that he took on flesh he dwelt and lived amongst us and that we too are to live like Christ we are to give ourselves we are to become like Christ to a dying and hurting world we are to Jesus is God incarnate he took on flesh and lived amongst us and we too are now to go and live Christ out in a dying and hurting world and that we but part of that is even the privilege we have as church is as we gather together we get to break bread together remembering Christ dwells amongst us we get to celebrate um, baptisms, when we say, what's happened of Christ? I'm now identifying with that, that he died and rose again to victory. And I'm, I'm now identifying myself with him in his death and resurrection. I died to myself. I am raised to life in Christ. And, and, 
Um, Richard Foster, he says there's these traditions in the church, and at times, some of them kind of go out of fashion. And at times, some of them are easier than others. So I think social justice right now in the church is, is high up there. With everything that's going on, and, and there's a hunger in the local church. Just a couple of weeks ago, I was meeting with um, some church leaders from across Swindon, and we were talking about how do, we, how do we kind of say, look, there's loads of great social justice stuff being done across Swindon. All kinds of things. How do we bring a synergy together with these things and, and help just give a bit of a steer and, and, and not control, but just say, look, we, we, we want to see this happen to serve the massive need in Swindon. And there's a hunger in the local church in Swindon to see that served well. But at other times, some things kind of just tailor off. And he goes on to say this about the, um, the charismatic tradition or the spirit-empowered life. He says, if the charismatic stream is cut off from the other great streams of the Christian life and faith, its imbalances can lead to distortions, such as treating the spiritual gifts magically. So suddenly those who prophesy, or those who have gifts of healing, or those who can speak in heavenly languages, tongues, we kind of treat them as these magical things rather than a normal Christian life. We treat them as ends in themselves rather than means to nurturing the life and witness of the body of Christ. We place an overemphasis on emotional experience at the expense of intellectual clarity, a widening gap between the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit, and an exaltation of visions and prophecy which sometimes manifests itself in obsession with speculating about end-time scenarios. And he says this, so that's if the charismatic stream is cut off from the life of the church. If the charismatic stream is allowed to run dry, however, then we may find ourselves attempting to shrink God down to an understandably, sorry, understandable and manageable size. As the person and work of the Holy Spirit in our life as a community begins to dry up, God shrinks down. And we begin to manage God in our expectations and our thinking. He goes on to say this. Isaiah 55, 8 says, But God's ways are not our ways. And the Spirit blows where he wills. John 3, 8. We might also find our experience of life with God dwindling down to too much talk, too little action. As the Apostle Paul cautions, the kingdom of God depends not on talk, but on power. And tragically, we can be left to ourselves instead of experiencing the vitality and growth of genuine transformation in Christ. And I, my, my, my experiences just with this time with the New Life guys is that gathering together, there hasn't been a dwindling of life and faith. There's been a growing, a fruit bearing. And I'm not saying that's Emma and I, I'm saying that's as we've gathered together and placed the word of God centrally in our small community as we're gathering week by week. There's been a growing, a, a hunger for God. And so there's been moments where, um, I'll name no names, but we were talking about, um, we were talking about, what were we talking about last, week before last? Put you on the spot, Em. What were we talking about the week before last? Somebody rescue me on the back row. <laughs> it was so good, none of us can remember. <laughs> 
it was, it was one of the... You, you had to be there. It was awesome. And, um, but at the end, um, one of the people in the group said... Was, there was a Bible sat on the side. And she said, I want to know what's in there. I've got... I've, all of a sudden this evening, I've got a hunger and a desire to know what's in that book. I, I knew it as a child. I was taught it as a child. But now I want to know, what does it say? And you know, that's because we gather together. And we place Jesus. And I just wonder, is that our hunger? Are we hungry and thirsty for God and more of him? Are we hungry and thirsty to grow in intimacy with him, to pursue him in life and godliness? He he finishes by saying this, life in the spirit is what moves us to exclaim with the psalmist, whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire other than you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. That was the cry of the psalmist. I wonder if that's our cry. In John chapter 7, on the last and the greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood... And in a loud voice, he said this, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Anyone who is thirsty, come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. My argument isn't this, please everybody turn up on Sunday mornings. That is not my argument. That's not, that's not how you deal with more people coming less often in church. The answer is, are you thirsty for Jesus Christ this morning? Are you expectant of him? Are you hungry for him? Mark Owen is um, one of our trustees at Gateway and he leads worship. And, and Mark and Maria, uh, sorry, Mark and Maria, I saw another couple called Mark and Maria yesterday. Um, Mark and Debbie are based at the East site. And yesterday he was at the air show tweeting away disapprovingly of the air show because of the low flying cloud. And he said this, World War II planes chug past for hours, but today's technology is grounded by fluffy clouds. (laughs) The most advanced military hardware can't fly in vaguely cloudy weather. Anyway, then he talks about we need some afterburners noise or something like that. And I I was just, when he was, I was smiling yesterday afternoon, um, as he was tweeting, and, and I thought, do you know what? I wonder if there's a bit of that going on in the church. That we kind of had a season of charismatic renewal in the church, and then we've kind of forgotten to keep being thirsty. And I want us to pray for one another right now. I'm not, do you know, sometimes God turns up and people cry and they laugh and they shake and they fall down, but sometimes they don't. And sometimes people feel just this immense peace and love for God and a deep affection for him as the spirit comes and fills us afresh but I believe that when the spirit comes we should expect a felt expectation he is a person not merely a force or a thing he has a personality he has love and desires and he can be offended and he has a passion for the church of Jesus Christ to know Jesus and he dwells within us those of us 
who are followers of Jesus. And I just wonder, are we thirsty for God? Anyone who's thirsty, let him drink from me and streams of living water will not just fill them up, but flow from within their inmost being. Jesus is saying there's something to expect as you are full of the Holy Spirit. And I'd love us just to pray. I'd love us to pray for one another. I'd love us to take God seriously at his invitation. This gift, this promised gift of the Father, of his Spirit, poured out on the church. It happened 2,000 years ago. And I wonder if we don't place enough emphasis on pursuing with one another to say, come on, let's be filled with the Spirit. Not a mere force, but a person that, that gives us the craving for God, that produces in us a love for God, that we don't obey by the law now, but by the Spirit of God written on our heart. It's what the Apostle Paul said in, in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 3. He said, my apostleship is not because I'm telling you I'm an apostle. The proof of it isn't that. It's not because I've got letters of recommendation to you. It's because you, the church, prove that I'm an apostle because the Spirit is written on your hearts. Because you have the Spirit of God alive within you. I am, um, just this week, I was at a conference in Bedford and I had to leave early because Emma had a migraine and I've been praying this week, just increasingly recently, God, I want opportunities just to share faith with people, to pray with people. I, I, I've just been saying, God, anything. I just, I try and be obedient. I try and get the guts just to go, okay. Um, and, and so I ordered a taxi to um, leave early and, and there was a Muslim guy who came and picked me up in his taxi. And so we just got chatting and he said, so why were you at church on, on a weekday? And I said, ah, interesting you should ask. Um, thank you, God. I didn't really mean it. And, <laughs> and I said, well, funny you should say that. We, there's a whole group of church leaders from all across the nation. We gathered together to come and study the Bible. And we were looking at a letter that was written to the church in Galatia 2,000 years ago. A guy called the Apostle Paul wrote a letter to the church. And, and we, the thing we were looking at was we were saying, the, the, the Apostle Paul in this letter He's talking about and arguing with the church. He's saying, are people saved through observing the law of Moses? So are we made right with God by our behavior, by observing the law and doing good? Or are we made right by faith in Jesus Christ? Are we justified by our faith in Christ Jesus? And I said, we were, we were wrestling around this. And, 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 um, and I was thinking, God, help. <laughs> I have no idea. And, I'm like, and I was thinking, where's the inroad? Where, like five minutes between here and the train station. And, and I, just as I, was, as I was driving along, sorry, as I was then on the train afterwards, it was a good conversation. And, um, but there was no heaven opened. The spirit came down. The guy got on his knees before God and said, what must I do to be saved? There wasn't that moment. But I felt like God just said, it, it's fine. It was just a moment of obedience. I could have gone, oh, it was just, it was a meeting. And, I'm, and I'm, I, just, I, wanted, I wanted it to be this amazing story. And God just goes, no, it's just, are you going to be obedient? Are you going to walk with the Spirit? You said you want opportunities. Are you going to take them when I put them in front of you? And I just felt in that moment, I'm like, man, actually, God, you, you really do empower us to. You didn't ask me to save that guy. You're the Savior. But you did put him in my path that day to be a blessing to him. Even if it is a theological, whatever, discussion, 
And I just, and I just feel like I was more excited in that moment just by having a conversation with somebody about faith and truth and what is truth and who is Jesus. And I felt like faith came alive. But it wasn't this wow story. I barely had the guts to talk to this guy and say, I made that, I know there was that decision moment when I said, okay, this is what we were doing. And I just felt like I just took a step and it wasn't a big deal. And it was, it was great fun, but I felt like I came alive. And I feel like that was the streams of living water. That wasn't me. I can't do that in myself. I didn't do anything spectacular, by the way. But even just for that small thing, it's like, no, the streams of living water. We have the life of God in us to bring hope, to bring refreshing to a dry world. In Jude, letter right towards the end of the Bible, he says this about building ourselves up in our most holy faith by praying in the Spirit. That we are to build ourselves up, that we are to mature in faith as followers of Jesus. I'm just going to finish with this. A guy called Arthur Wallace, um, who was around the middle of last century and involved in charismatic renewal in this nation, he said this, revival is the result of a divine, not human impulse. God reviving our land. God breathing spiritual life back into the life of this land, into the lives of men and women. In language, plain to all, it cannot be worked up. It is true that spiritual conditions must be met before revival can be expected. But fulfilled conditions do not provide the motive force for revival. At Pentecost, it was the windows of heaven, not the windows of the upper room, that were opened. The source of the blessing was the heart of God, not the heart of man. It cannot be too strongly emphasized that such seasons of refreshing have always come from the presence of the Father. I wonder that God is inviting us to a season of refreshing, Gateway. I, I, um, there's been a number of prophetic words I've heard recently and a number of um, church leaders across the nation who are believing that God's beginning to talk about reviving this land. Even through the midst of its hurt and struggle right now, that it will be a springboard for a move of God. And I don't want us to miss what God's doing. Not for ourselves, but that we could have streams of living water flow through us. And so we're going to pray for one another. And for some of us, it's even, God, I've grown. I'm so satisfied on the things of the world that I'm not even thirsty for you anymore. And maybe that's where you are today. I'd love to pray with you. For others, it's, I just, I feel like I've run with God and it's been a hard moment again of just walking and running with God, but, I, but I, I'm passionate and I'm expectant. I want to pray with you. For others, you're running really well and that's great and I want to pray. Keep running the race. Keep pursuing God. Some of you here this morning, you'd say, I, I, I'm not even a follower of Jesus. Well, I want to invite you to come and receive Jesus as Lord and Savior and to thirst for him. I'm not so bothered about 
more people coming less often. I'm bothered about a church that is full of the life of God. That's what we need. That's, that's where desire comes from. That's how desire is fueled in the people of God. One of the things we don't do so often, but we believe in when we're praying for the Spirit, is the laying on of hands. Is that we lay hands on one another. And so I'm just going to read a couple of scriptures, short scriptures. In Acts 8, we do this because we see it in the Bible. Um, the apostles in Jerusalem were in sorry, the, the apostles in Jerusalem had heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, and they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers that they might receive the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Acts 9, Ananias is sent to Saul as, to go and meet God's chosen instrument who take the gospel to the Gentiles. That's the apostle Paul. And he went to, Ananias went to the house and entered it. He placed his hands on Saul and he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me to you so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then there's an immediately. Something like scales fell from his eyes. Acts 19. Apollos was in Corinth, was at Corinth, and Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus, and there he found some disciples. So what the apostles do, they go and check the foundation of the local church, the health of the life of the local church. It's one thing they do anyway. And he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we have not even heard there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked them, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. I want us to lay hands on one another this morning. It's not a weird thing. It's absolutely part of and parcel of the history of the church, that we are those who pursue this life in the Spirit, life with God. That we lay hands on one another, because there's something about impartation as we lay hands on one another that comes. I want us to be expectant, because at every point in the New Testament, we see the Holy Spirit fell on them, the Holy Spirit came and met them, and, and there, was a, there was an evidence of the Spirit's life amongst people. They were full of power, joy, peace. They spoke in tongues and prophesied. There's gifts of the Spirit through the New Testament. In Paul's letters, he talks about the gifts of the Spirit that are given for the building up and strengthening of the church. Not just spiritual markers that say, wow, look how spiritual that person is. Not an end in themselves, but to be a blessing and to build up and encourage. And there's many gifts here that I wonder if maybe over the last season have begun to dry up, maybe. That this morning just need the breath of God to come the person of the Holy Spirit, to come and ignite them afresh and release them. So can I invite us to stand? James, I'm going to pick on you. Come here. <laughs> you didn't know I was doing this. Thanks for being a willing volunteer. Yep. Um, do you know what? The Holy Spirit, God is good. Amen? And he only gives good things. And we do not have to be frightened of God in the least. He is a good, good father. And when we ask him for something, 
He doesn't, so if you're asking for bread, Jesus says he doesn't give you a, a snake or a stone. He gives you bread, but bread in abundance. And so we're asking God, we are, make us hungry for you, for more of you. Give us a hunger and a desire for you. Come and fill us afresh with your spirit. And God is faithful to his promise. And there's been a prayer that's been prayed through the last 2,000 years of the church's existence. Come, Holy Spirit. It's, it's such a simple prayer. So when I was in the taxi, sorry to make stand here, James. <laughs> when I was in the taxi, and I'm like, ah, oh, here's an opportunity. Come, Holy Spirit, help me. And that's what we're doing when we welcome the Holy Spirit. And we just simply lay hands and we go, come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come and fill James afresh this morning with your love, with the love and life of God. Come and breathe in this heart and ignite it afresh for Jesus. Come and release passion for the glory of God in this man's life. Come and stoke this heart. Come and, come and do what only you can do, which is to produce love afresh for God. Deep love. And, and there's nothing magical about it, but it is a supernatural thing. It's not, it's not a human thing we're doing, but, but we lay hands and God imparts blessing through the laying on of hands. It's, we see that through the Bible. And it's not, that, it's not about a leader or not. It's we're the priesthood of believers. We have God within us and we can bless one another. And that's as simple as it needs to be. And, and do you know, sometimes people laugh. Sometimes people shake. Sometimes people cry as God encounters. By the way, he's God. He's big and powerful. And not the God of our back pocket, a genie, when he's useful to us. He is God of creation. He's a creator and sustainer, giver of life. And he comes and meets us and, as his creation. And sometimes we just emotionally respond. But we're not looking for emotion. We're saying, the life of God, come and fill you, James, and flow within you. May he give you boldness and power. The same power, James, that raised Christ from the dead is the same power that is at work within you. And I pray that the Holy Spirit, even this, this week and today, would, would ignite within you an understanding of that, what that means for your life. That you are a son of the living God. The Spirit is a sign and a seal that you are God's workmanship. He's given to you as a down payment that God is faithful to you. He will not leave you. He is coming for you. But until that day, run the race marked out for you. And and we pray for you, James, that God will make that so abundantly clear, the road, the race, the good works that he's called for you in advance to do. It's not, we haven't got to pronounce heavy things over people's lives. We're saying, God, come and fuel this guy's life. Come and fuel it. I have water, I won't chuck it over you. But it's like, it's Jude in the morning. For weeks and weeks, I said, Jude, get up. If you don't get up now, I'm chucking water over you. And Friday morning, I chucked water over him. He was very cross. But, I, but he got up. Boy, God, come and chuck cold water over us. James, stay standing here. No, I'm joking, you can go stand. <laughs> but boy, do we need as a people of God a fresh encounter with the life of God, with the spirit of God.